You may have noticed all the American flags flying this morning as you came in. And uh, I want to talk about that flag for just a second. In fact, I have a little uh, statement that was written a number of years ago about our flag. As we think about the veterans, as we think about, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, that there was a number of tears in the audience today, including the pastors. But uh, what a privilege to have served something so much bigger than my own life when I was in the military. And that's what our veterans do. They're willing to give themselves for you and I, even if it means writing a check that includes their life. And, uh, but as we see the flags, and I remember growing up with my father that was a veteran of World War II, a naval officer in World War II, very, very patriotic, but um, the songs we just sang, the national anthem, all the patriotic songs would always um, elicit a tear from him because of what it meant to be a part of this great nation and to have him served it in that war. But this says this about our flag. I am your flag. I'm the flag of the United States. I'm called Old Glory. I'm called the Star-Spangled Banner. I am the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. I'm the symbol of patriotism. I'm the symbol of freedom. I'm the trenches of France, Germany, Belgium, Angio, Normandy, Omaha Beach, Guadalcanal, and Korea. I'm the jungles of Vietnam and the sands of Desert Storm, and I am Afghanistan. I'm one nation under God. I'm the names of all those who never came back to keep this republic free. When you salute me, you are actually saluting them. I'm the symbol of America, the home of the proud, the brave, and the free. And I believe we all feel this way this morning, but we have so much to be thankful for in our nation today. As many problems as we have and as things that uh, don't seem to be going in the right direction, it's still the greatest nation in all the world and I believe that God still has a great plan for our nation. But I, too, thank God for veterans and those that have gone before us. God put this upon my heart a number of weeks ago, and I thought this might be a good week to do it. I planned it a while back. But I want to talk today about the consequences of complacency. And I thought how appropriate talking about the military because the military has never done anything besides excel in everything they've under, ever undertaken. The military has achieved and been willing to pay the cost for victory. You know, that's the, kind of the essence that we're called to as Christians, too, to give whatever it takes to see victory for the cause of Christ. What is complacency? You ever pondered that thought? Webster says it's a feeling of being satisfied with where you're at and basically not wanting to improve anything. You're just there. You're fine with where you're at. It's being satisfied with who you are. It's being comfortable in mediocrity, unfortunately. It's not wanting to get out of the box and achieve much more than you're already achieving. Question rises, do you think there's any complacent Christians in our room today? The state of complacency is a very, very dangerous place to be with God. We miss God when we're complacent about God. He has so much more for you and I. Why don't you turn your Bibles with you this morning, if you will, to Revelation 3. Beginning with 14th verse. Many of you know where we're going there with that verse. We're talking about the Laodicean church. As you find your way to Revelation 3, verse 14, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. It says in verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things say the amen and the faithful and the true witness in the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is God speaking. God is saying the mediocre church, the lukewarm church, makes him sick. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word this day. Father, I pray for each one of us, Lord, we realize, Lord, that no matter where we're at in our discipleship, Father, Father, in our walk with you, Father, we all know that we can do more. We can do better. So, Father, I pray today right now that you speak to each one of our hearts, Father, beginning with the pastors. Lord, that I would see the things in my life, Lord, that I'm complacent about, Father. I pray right now, Lord, that, uh, Lord, I'd see greater things this day and realize that you want to use my life in much, such a much better way, in a bigger way. Father, we thank you now once again for each person here. Father, we thank you especially this day for our veterans. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Probably one of my favorite presidents is a fellow by the name of Theodore Roosevelt. I just <laughs> love him, the character he seems to have in many of his writings. But I want you to listen to this little writing he, he, he wrote. And uh, it's a very profound writing for our day to day. It says, far better it is to dare mighty things and win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight. And they know not the victory or defeat. You know, there's a lot of people out there in this world. It's not just in the church. It's in this country. That just seems to be living and content in complacency. Complacency makes God sick, especially when it's his church. What causes complacency? You ever ponder that? Why is it? I believe in a spiritual realm that's because we have an ungrateful attitude towards God. If you're to be asked, am I grateful for God? Yeah. But do we express that? Do we live in such a way as that we're grateful for all things in God? Are we just thanking God from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed? We've got so many things to be thankful for in God. But I believe complacency comes when we get slow or delinquent in thanking God for all He's given us. You know, it also comes, I believe, when things of God are not as important to us as the things of us. And we kind of get that worldly focus. We get the focus that, you know, God's important, but it's not too important for me to stop doing this or stop doing that or begin doing this or begin doing that. We get complacent because God's mission, God's things that are important to Him, just don't seem to be that important to me. You know, it's natural for an unbeliever to be ungrateful. It really is. But the Bible is very clear for you and I that the believers are to be thankful. We're to live with a grateful heart. We're to live in such a way as we continue to praise God for who we have. I know there's been some folks in this room that have dealt with cancer in their life, and cancer is a word right now that just wreaks terror in the lives when you hear that word cancer. It's a debilitating disease, no matter where the cancer's at. And I praise God that he's given doctors and nurses wisdom how to deal with a lot of it, and God, God heals a lot of cancer. But cancer just really is a word that we don't want to hear. You ever pondered what the root of cancer is, really? Cancer ultimately is cells that don't want to go along with the program of our natural body. They're deviant cells that have a mind of their own. They have their own agenda inside our body. They're deviant cells that just want to hang out where they're at. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to hang out. Cancer cells still need blood. They still need oxygen. They still need to eat so they can grow. 
But as cancer cells grow, they begin to spread and metastasize. They begin to take over areas that don't need to be taken over. They want to draw off the body, but listen to this. They do not contribute anything to the body. The body's in trouble because all they want to do is take the benefits of living inside that body. You know, it kind of sounds a little bit like something that exists inside the church. There's a cancer that exists inside the church. It's kind of drastic to say that. There's cells of people that want all the benefits that just don't really want to put forth. They don't want to really make a contribution, just like a cancer cell in your body. They want to just take and take. They want sermons. They want songs. They want heating and air conditioning. They want comfortable chairs. They want toys for their kids. They want food from the food pantry. They want counseling, just to name a few things. They want all these things, but they just don't really want to be part of the body of Christ. They just want to hang out. Many of us are complacent about the things of God. It's unfortunate. We don't really care that much about God's kingdom work because we have our own kingdom to take care of. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. The Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. God's very clear where he wants to be in our life. He wants to be first. He wants all of us. He doesn't don't want to just run a little room in our, in our life. He wants all of us. We have our priorities sometimes mixed up. The nation of Israel over and over got things mixed up. In Hosea chapter 13, 4 through 6, they had things very mixed up. And God tells them this. He says in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 4, Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. When they had pasture and they were filled, they were filled and their hearts were exalted. Therefore they forgot God. It's interesting, many times when things are going good, we do kind of put God in the back seat, don't we? We forget about him. Just like the nation of Israel. They needed him when they were struggling, but as soon as things got good and God was blessing them in their pastures and their fields, what did they do? They forgot God. They put God in the back seat. They sent him to the back of the bus. Repeatedly, the nation of Israel forgot God. Just like the Israelites, you know what? America today has forgotten God in too many ways. They really have. It's not that important. You know, the question in yours, in my life is, God delivered you. Has God truly delivered you? If God has delivered you, and you know what He's done? He's set your feet on solid rock. You're not the same as you used to be. You're a new creation. You have a brand new nation. Let me ask you this question this morning. Where would you be today without Jesus Christ? Do you realize that? Many people feel like, well, I don't have one of those drama testimonies, dramatic testimonies, because, you know, I was a good kid, got saved when I was a young person, basically lived my life for Christ. Praise God to that. Where would you be if you hadn't received Jesus Christ when you're 10 years old, 11 years old? There's no telling. Maybe this morning you'd be waking up in a prison or a jail or dead because of drugs or something. God has protected you. God has delivered you and I. We seem to forget that, though. Why? In America, especially because we're so blessed. 
God has incredibly blessed our nation. God has given us way beyond any other nation has ever received in the history, 238 years. God has blessed America. God has had His hand on Him. And how do we pay Him back? We turn our back on Him. We say that the Bible is no longer true. That we don't really need to follow the Bible because, you know, man knows better. I know better. In 1933, a bunch of college professors got together and wrote the Humanist Manifesto. You know what that manifesto said? It said, hey, listen, look how smart we are. We can fly now. Oh, wow. You know, they knew nothing about flying in 1933 compared to today. Think about that. But they thought they could fly. You know, we got motorized gasoline engines. We got all the science we need because we just figured out the cure for polio. Wow, big deal. God is the ultimate healer. But they began, they wrote this humanist manifesto. You know what they did with it? They began circulating it to all the colleges. And all these professors out there that figured they really didn't need God, they bought into this whole human secularism. They figured, we're God. (coughs) We don't need God because look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. Over and over. So they circulated this humanist manifesto in all the colleges. You know what happened to the colleges? The college professors bought into it. Many of them. So what they started doing in the colleges began teaching teachers to go out and teach other teachers, to go out and teach public schools and schools. And so what are we perpetuating today in, in society? Perpetuating the fact that we really don't need God. God doesn't belong in schools. Oh, don't talk about God. Think about all the craziness out there. They don't even want you to read your Bible in school. If they will, they, they'll expel you. <coughs> Think about it just for a moment complacency in the spiritual realm. Complacency in the spiritual round means that we put God in the back seat. We put Him on the back burner. We focus on what's important to us, not what's important to God. We put the focus on things that have absolutely no eternal value. The worldly focus, having a worldly focus like that, leads us to spiritual complacency. Let me stop on that little mark for a minute. Having a worldly focus leads us into spiritual complacency. Why? Because everything in the world becomes more important than God. We kind of take our faith for granted. We come to a point in our life when our faith just isn't that important. You know, I never met a Christian that set out when they got saved to have a mediocre Christian life. I never did. They're excited. Most of them up here in tears and can't believe I'm free. I've shared with you a number of times different ones I've heard about, but one little girl that found herself pregnant out of wedlock started coming to my Sunday school class at Amy's My Invitation. Lived with us for nine months. One Sunday she got saved. After the Sunday school class, another man and I sat in that classroom after the class was over and shared the gospel. She prayed to receive Christ and at the end of it she put, opened her eyes and her tears were coming down her eyes. Does this mean that all my sins are forgiven? I mean, she was rejoicing. I don't know what all her sins were. She realized, you know, sin was overwhelming her life. She did not have a complete life. She did not have a vision for her life. She didn't have hope at that point in her life. Does this mean that all my sins are forgiven? Have you been delivered? Have you really been delivered? You know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And you know absolutely without all certainty that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that you have a home in heaven one day because Jesus Christ came and paid, him, paid the price upon that cross. And rose from that grave and gave that to you. Merely because he could and he had grace. Jim Collins wrote a book a number of years ago, a bestseller called Good to Great. People that do great things do not settle for good. The biggest enemy of great is good. We get content and satisfied with good when great is out there. I believe it's a sin when God has given us great and we settle for good. That's complacency. God has great things for you. You know, just for a moment, consider a football player. Big football season now. 
Consider a football player this year that in the professional leagues maybe that scores 20 touchdowns. What do you think his goal is going to be for the next year? To score more than 20 touchdowns. He's going to work as hard as he can because I did 20 last year. I want to do more this year. Listen very carefully. An athlete that does not strive to be better is not going to be on that team long. You know that. An athlete at that level that does not strive to be better every year is not going to last very long in that league or on that team. I want you to think about this. Complacency in the American church today. There's a lot of Christians, people that call themselves Christians, probably are Christians, that aren't really striving to be a greater Christian, to walk in a greater way with Christ, to walk and follow closer after Jesus Christ. You know what happens eventually? They fall away from the church. They're no longer on the team. God doesn't kick them off. God wants them on the team. God wants them to stay there in a church so they get engaged and the light bulb goes off and they get excited about serving Jesus Christ. And then unfortunately they kind of just fall away and drift away. You know, it's, it's sad too, and we'll talk about it in a second, sometimes they get upset with somebody. And that happens. Really, but you're going to leave Jesus Christ in the church because some human being bothered you or did something you didn't approve of? Are you kidding me? We're talking about the God of the universe. Why in a million years would I ever give up on God because some human being did something wrong to me? Complacency has no place in the life of a Christian. Consider just for a moment the effects of complacency of Christians in our nation today and what it's caused our nation. We see a moral decay in our nation right now like we've never seen before. You know why we see that complacency and that moral decay in our country today? Because men and women of God are sitting on the sidelines. Isn't it amazing today that speaking truth is now considered a hate crime? If you speak truth, it's considered a hate crime. Fifty percent of children born single moms. Prisons are overflowing. Suicide rate in America is the highest suicide rate among young people in the world. And isn't it awesome that we're deciding to legalize marijuana too so you can get even more adrift out there and kind of escape reality in a greater way? You know that prostitution is also legal in Nevada? What a sad state of affairs. And listen to some of these things a little more personal. A second grade student at a public school could not sing Awesome God at the after school talent show. Pastor in Arizona was stopped having Bible studies in his own personal home. Five Christian men just in this state here down in the Norfolk area were threatened with arrest for sharing their faith on the sidewalks in Norfolk, Virginia. Christian student in Missouri threatened to have his degree taken away if she did not write a letter to the state legislature supporting homosexuality adoption. Pro-life nurse was forced to participate in a late-term abortion even though workplace agreed that she didn't have to do it in writing prior to that. Listen very carefully. Revival is not coming to America as long as the church capitulates to the enemy. Did you hear that? Revival is not coming as long as the church, the church is the body of Christ, capitulates to the enemy. You know, it's amazing now in America that we've not only sanctioned and approved and made legal men to marry men and women to women marry women, but we also celebrate it in America today. How sad that in their infinite stupidity, the Supreme Court decided to take prayer and Bible reading out of the schools back in the 1960s. I don't know if you've been following that uh, precious coach, Joe Kennedy, out at Bremerton High School in Washington State. Since 2009, he'd been walking out the center field and praying. He went out there initially by himself and just knelt down and prayed in the center field. 
And then eventually players started coming, people started coming. He'd have a big crowd at the end of every game. And a lot of the players said, we're looking forward to that. And, and parents would come. Well, the school board got one complaint from one person. One complaint from one person. And said, that's just not right. That's not the separation of church and state, which is a lie in of itself. So they said, don't do it. Stop doing that. Well, he refused to stop doing it. And he did it. I don't know if you heard this, but he's been suspended from his job. Really? In America? The land of the free? The bastion of hope and liberty for the world? The bastion that God has blessed so abundantly because we believe in freedom, but also because we believe in God? Make no mistake, our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values. God was present when this nation was formed. God's been present through every war. You know what? There's never been a military before like the American military. Never. There have been a few people that come close, but there's never been a military like our military. Why? God. I'm here to tell you it's God. God's given our military victory. There is some, if you study the history of our nation, the military history of our nation, you'll see so many times when America could have lost or should have lost. But God prevailed because they put the right general there to do the right thing or the right leader to do the right thing. Over and over. Have we lost some battles? Yes. But we've never, ever lost a war. God has blessed this nation. He's kept it safe all these years. Think about Christ being thrown out of Christmas in America today. Think about the Ten Commandments cannot be displayed. 75% of Christians did not vote in the last presidential election. 50% of the Christians in this nation didn't even register for it. God help us. Forgive our complacency. I want to get personal for just a second now. Personal about our church here. Consider the complacency of the church in America today. 20% of Americans go to church. Most churches, and our church is a little bit better than this, but most churches have a kind of a 20-80 percentage rule. 20% of the people that go there do 20% of the work. They do 80% of the work. Do most of the work. 20% are sold out. They, get, they, they give 80% of the giving, the, the material needs. They give 80% of the labor and the volunteer force. 20% give that. If you take those two numbers I just gave you, 20% of America goes to church. And of the church, of the people that go to church, 20% of them are the ones that are kind of doing the work and sold out for Christ. You know what we have in America today? We have about 4% of Americans are sold out to Christ. A Christian nation. Too many people today believe that being a Christian is an ethnic thing. I'm not Jewish, I'm not Muslim, so I must be Christian. Kind of a thing that's just kind of a branding because I live in a Christian nation, so I must be Christian. That's not being a Christian. That's not being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's equating yourself with being an ethnic person in this nation as a Christian. But think about church. Think about our church for a second. Before I say this, I want you to know, I've never seen a greater church than this one. This is an incredible church. God has done incredible things. I've never seen a church where the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit is moving in a more powerful way than this one. I've seen God's story after God's story. I heard God's stories this week, how God showed up. But I want you to think about complacency for just a moment. We have an incredible children's ministry. We have Awana. We have Sunday morning services. We have Upward Program. We have a great youth ministry. You know what they're always looking for? Help. More people to serve. More people to serve. You know, it's interesting that I, I've commented to my, my, my leaders and I've told them, you know, I can announce it all day long that we need help here. Need help in this ministry, that ministry. I tell them, you're not going to get a great response. A lot of times we hear those calls for help and we kind of think it's kind of a shared responsibility. You know, and that's not really me, but I'll let somebody else do it. I had somebody the other day ask me, how, how can you find out your giftedness? I can tell you how you find out your giftedness. Go do something. 
And if it fits, you just found your gift. If not, do something else. Keep doing things until you figure out where, where God wants you to serve. You know, my calling, my personal calling is not to, not to teach children. I just don't have what it takes, but we got some great people back there to do it. It's not even with youth. Can I do it one time? Yeah, I can do both those things one time probably. But it's really not my giftedness. There's people that God has gifted to do these things. But there's too many people sitting in the church today not doing anything. Not going where they need to go. I'm stepping on my toes first this morning. Believe me, brothers and sisters. But God is calling you to get out of the complacency lane and get into the active lane. Let your faith explode. See what God, how God would use you in a ministry. I think about a choir. We've got all kinds of people here that can sing. Why not come out on Wednesday night? You know, I come in here a lot on Wednesday nights and towards the end of the evening and sometimes early. Here, listen to them sing. I love it. I kind of hive because I don't want to go up there myself. I'm just kidding. But listen, they have a blast. They were singing Christmas music this week. I stayed longer than normal because I was getting into Christmas music, getting excited about Christmas. But you know what? I love their faithfulness. It's not just a matter they show up a little early on Sunday mornings, come out and sing. They're here for two or three hours on Wednesday night practicing. So they can give God a precious gift, and they do every Sunday. The youth department, we've got incredible youth back there. I don't want you to miss this slide. In the children and the youth, you know what we're doing? We're raising up the next generation. Listen very carefully. This is on a watch right now. All this stuff that's going south in our nation right now, you know who's responsible? Us. It's on a watch. We're the adults. We're the grown-ups in the room. We're sitting at the grown-up table right now. We're no longer at the kiddie table. We're sitting at the grown-up table. God has called you and I to come out here and make a difference. The greatest difference we can make in this nation today is Jesus Christ. We need to carry Jesus Christ to this world. We need to be Jesus Christ in this world. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to love God above all else. The greeter ministry. Another ministry here that's struggling right now. We've got some great greeters out there, but you know what? We need about twice the number. So I want you to think about this. It's simple. In fact, I'll have Amy call you this week. She's helped me get this thing rolling. It's showing up one Sunday month and serve outside a few minutes early. Serve outside and serve between the services. That's it. I mean, it's really nothing. But, you know, we've been known as a friendly church. We've been known as a, as a church where the Spirit of God is. And so part of the thing we can do as a church body here is put Spirit-filled, friendly people in strategic places on Sunday morning to welcome people. Welcome. Good to see you here. Share this little story. I drove through Chick-fil-A the other day down at VCC. One of the I went for Amy get her nails done. They look beautiful. Check them out. Driving to, driving to get a soda. Seriously, waiting for him. But you know what? And when I pulled up that little little uh, box there where you order, a lot of times, a lot of fast food restaurants, say what? This, this voice was clear, concise, and over-the-top friendly. That little girl. And I thought, unbelievable. It's Chick-fil-A. They do a first-class job to start with. But pull up the car. I mean, she just about came out the window. She was so friendly. Oh, how are you doing today, sir? I was driving Amy's car. didn't have the top down. Oh, I love your car. I said, well, it's my wife's. Uh, that'll be $1.45 what it was. Oh, here you go. Oh, thank you, sir. Just over-the-top enthusiasm. I want to say, are you a Christian? I could tell she was. There was something about her. There was an enthusiasm about her about life. I'm sure Chick-fil-A did a good job training her, but, you know, they train a lot of people. They're not that level. But that's how we're, that's how we're supposed to be. People running in here say, man, I just met the most impressive person. I met the most awesome person here. We have an incredible opportunity here in the greeter ministry. Think about the first impressions that people have when they come to our church. Somebody comes to our church for the very first time, you know what they're doing? 
they probably made about 10 decisions before they get here. They thought, well, do I want to go to church, first of all? Second of all, do I want to get dressed up? I heard you don't have to get dressed up at BBDM. Well, how far do I want to drive? How long? What time do I want to go? All the times. All these decisions people make when they, when they decide to go to church for the very first time. They've maybe been invited for 50 years. And they finally, okay, let's go, let's go. They go that morning and they pull on the lot. And they see nobody to say hi. They walk in the church and nobody greets them. As opposed to, you know what? Even before they get into the parking lot, there's somebody out there waving at them by the sign out the front door, Mr. Sash Basara. And they come up to the front door here, and there's two people on the sidewalk greeting them. Hey, good morning. Good to see you here. Or somebody sees them getting a little baby out of, out, of, out of the car and runs out there. Hey, can we help you with something? Care something for you? They come inside, and they're greeted again. Just the encouragement. You know what that does? It affirms every ten decisions they made before they came here. Man, I made ten great decisions this morning to come to Beaverdam Baptist Church. How about this? This is something that we struggle with as a church, all churches. We are to edify and encourage. And we have some of that going on, but you know it can go to a whole other level. Many of you have been in the recipients of encouragement, especially when you've got some things going on in your life or things aren't going well in your life and somebody calls you and wants to build you up and edify you and encourage you. You know, the complacency part of that is that we just don't take time to do it. That's being complacent. It's not the forefront of our mind. I want you to think about this. And you've heard this before. I'm just not getting fed at that church. Or I'm not going to that church because I don't get fed. Well, I've told you this before, but my children learn how to feed themselves when they're about three. So when you come to church, it's not a matter of being fed. You, you want to hear God's word, and you're hoping you'll hear some thoughts or some comments or people in your Sunday school class sharing scriptures or you know, the pastor shares something that touches your heart. But you need to come to church to serve. That's why we come to church. I'm coming to serve, but I'm also coming to worship God. I'm serving God by I'm worshiping But I'm going to serve my fellow, fellow Christians here, and I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to come to church today, and I'm going to find at least five people today that I can encourage just by saying hi to. How are you doing? Hey, let me pray for you. The idea that coming to church is supposed to be an incredible corporate experience begins with our focus on God. It begins coming to church with the right attitude. It begins with coming to church realizing that I'm coming to church and I'm going to make a difference for the glory of God because he's made a difference in my life. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters so we can all go out when the service is over and go out and make a difference in this world. I want to be an encourager and edifier. Think about this, calling people on the phone. Do you know what? Too often we miss the opportunity to edify people. I want you to hear a couple of verses here that speak about edifying people. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to hearers. You know what that says? Don't say anything negative, ever. If it's not something nice, don't say it. I want everything that comes out of my mouth to be an encouragement or an edification for somebody. Okay? I struggle with it, too. I have some issues in life, just like you do. But you know what? I try as hard as I can. To let everything that comes out of my mouth be an encouragement or an edification. Even if i got things that I disagree with, I still want to edify somebody. Even when I'm dealing with somebody that has an adverse situation right now, I want to edify them to a point that they get the right situation, or the right attitude. How about this? This is Proverbs 21, 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. Think about that. By what comes out of my mouth, I can have joy. I can have joy because I'm being used of God. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. When we're speaking the right words, you've probably had that experience. I've definitely received those things. I've tar- I think I've heard this thing too. I'm so thankful you called because it was just when I needed it. 
Or I can't say how bad our day was coming, but we called Pastor when you pray for me. It just turned my day around. Or reaching out. Or how about Proverbs uh, 15:23? It says this: Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Think about that. You know, our, our mouth can bring destruction or it can bring life. This it says this in Proverbs 18:7: A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. And this is Proverbs 13:3: He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Over and over in the book of Proverbs and Psalms, God tells us that our mouth can be used for two things. It can be used to kill, and it can be used to give life. It can be used to give destruction, or it can be used to give life. Our mouth is an incredible, powerful tool. And it can be do both those things. It can give life, or it can give death. I want you to know this. There's no room for complacency in God's kingdom. But also I want you to know this. Two things. People have been critical of me over the years. Yeah, it doesn't feel good, but I realize that they have their opinion. When we receive criticism, we should stop, first of all, and ponder the thought of how much that criticism is accurate. It might not be all of it. They may have doused it in all kinds of negativity and everything else, and there may be something there. But the other thing is, pray for that person. If they come in the wrong spirit, pray for them. It's easy to start talking bad about them and go out and talk about them. And can you believe they did this? And God has given you and I an incredible ability to build His kingdom. And we can do one of two things. We can either tear it down or we can build it up. And unfortunately, how sad it is that there's too many people that call themselves Christians destroying and hurting the cause of Christ. Because they're not building it up, they're tearing it down. I share this with the guys a lot of times in, um, in the Bible studies. One of the greatest ways that we can look godly, keep our mouth shut. Think about it. One of the greatest ways that we can appear godly is just to keep our mouth shut. And uh, I've learned that over the years. I used to be very quick with my mouth. But you know what? I've become very slow with my mouth. I don't just count to ten. Sometimes I count ten days before I respond to something that happens or something like that just because I want to do it in Christ-like way. How can you and I overcome complacency? I'm going to give you six thoughts here. Quickly. How can we overcome complacency? I want you to know, first of all, and I want you to really think about these things this morning, that you and I are just one defining decision away from having a completely different life. You and I are just one defining decision away from having a completely different life. Why is it important for us not to be complacent? Because we're missing God. When we're complacent, we're missing God. You know, it's one of those things I want to ask you, do you have all the God you need? Do you have all the God you want? No, I don't. I want more of God. I want more of everything He has. But I give you these six things, and maybe one of these things will reflect with you, maybe all of them. Six things this morning that might touch you in a special way. Number one, maybe you need to reestablish your relationship with God. It's possible to be a very, very religious person, but not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It really is. Jesus Christ said in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've shared for years with the guys in the jail, same as many people in the church here. They're in bondage. But I've shared with them, you know, when you have a need or when you have something on the outside world there, what's the first thing you turn to? Most of them say alcohol or drugs or whatever. 
You know why that is? Because God is not tangible in their life. The alcohol is, the drugs, I can get these things. I can go hang out with these guys or ask this person. I want to ask you this this morning. It's going to be a benchmark for you as far as your relationship with God. How tangible is God in your life? Is he right there? He, you talk to him all day. Every time you have a need, he's the first person you look to. Us guys, we have a little struggle that sometimes. When, every time we have a need, the first thing we look to is ourselves. I can fix this. You know, I'm a man and Lone Ranger, I can go do this. But the question for you this morning is how tangible is God in your life? Is your relationship with him on fire? Is your relationship the driving force in your life that gives you the root for everything you do, the wisdom, the power to do all the things? Are you seeing God's power in your life and you're doing things way beyond your ability? Too many of us are happy. Too many churches out there are happy doing the things that only they can do. I want to do the things that only God can do in my life, but also in this church. The second thing is commit to reading your Bible every day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's easy to slip away from reading your Bible every day. But you know what? I promise you this. If you would commit this morning to make time every day for 30 days to read your Bible, you won't be able to miss it much in the future. It'll begin speaking to your life. It'll begin giving you power. It'll begin giving you peace. It'll begin giving you joy, giving you contentment. It'll give you purpose in life. And you'll realize, I just missed a day of reading my Bible. I don't want to ever do that again because my life is different when I'm not in God's Word. Faith comes by hearing. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Maybe your relationship with God is not where it needs to be because you don't read the Bible enough to know God. You don't know Him personally. You don't know His character. You don't know His attributes. You don't know His promises. Number three, commit to praying every day. You know, a lot of times when we pray, we, we, we make a list of things we want. It's kind of like a shopping list or Christmas list. You're just saying, this is what I want. The one thing that many of us miss in our prayer life is listening. Do you listen to God? Be still and know that He is God. We say our prayers at night. Dear Jesus, thank you for a good day. Help me have a good rest. Amen. Go to sleep. How much time do we spend listening for God? Number four, develop Christian friendships. Let me put a plug in for small group Bible study. Sunday schools are discipleship arm here. But I'm here to tell you, there's nothing better than Christian friends. In fact, I, I have to force myself to meet people that aren't Christians or outside the church so I can lead somebody to the Lord. All I am is my friends are part of this church. Part of the last church we went to. That's good. What does that do for us? It strengthens us. They challenge us. We have to live by another standard having Christian friends because we want to be an example to them and they're wanting to be an example to us. But they also go through struggles and how, how, how much better our lives is to have somebody that's a Christian. It's a strong Christian that we know how to, that knows how to get through an issue that maybe we don't. Hey, I'm going through this right now. Can you pray for me? Absolutely. We went through that before and tell me how we got through it. Let me tell you how we got through it. Christian friends, iron sharpens iron. You've heard of that scripture, Psalms 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of friends sharpens another. We have an incredible opportunity in this lifetime to surround ourselves with great people. I've preached on it before, but you know, our kids come home and their best friends are the biggest drug addicts at school. We can't wait to get them away from those people. You're not associating with them. We want you to stay home. We want you to have some good friends, some friends that are going to edify you. It's the same with adults. We don't need adults' friendships in our life that are tearing us down or tearing down the cause of Christ in our presence. Use your God-given talents. I'm here to tell you your faith is never going to be the faith that God wants it to be until you give it away. God gave. He wants us to give. 
give our faith away, give our talents away, use what we got for God's glory. One of the greatest things I've seen as a pastor's church for some 14 years now is people coming in and saying, Pastor, I'd like to start this ministry. Pastor, I'd like to be a part of this ministry. Pastor, I'd like to do this. Oh, man, awesome. Let me pray for you. If you need me, uh, please come see me, but I'll be praying for you. God bless you as you start this ministry, as you go this ministry. had a meeting yesterday with the Stepping Stone Ministry. You heard about this a couple times this year, but this is a ministry to battered women. I can't tell you how God is opening phenomenal doors in that ministry. It's going to be kicked off here after the first year, and how God's using that ministry to touch this community. People can't believe that this, this young lady, our church, wants to do this ministry here. It's just an incredible ministry, but God put it upon our heart. God's put ministries upon your hearts before too. And that's how this church has gone and the direction it's gone, because people want to serve and get out of their comfort zone and do something. And finally, six, remember that God wants your best. God wants the best of you. Unfortunately, too many times we move in that complacent mode. You know what we give God? Leftovers. Leftovers. God wants the first. He wants the first fruits. He wants the best in our life. You know, last week we talked about stepping out of the box, getting out of the box. I made the reference to you that the, the box is a bad reference point. And uh, I'm going to use that box again this week, but I'm going to tell you sometimes we put God in a box in our lives. We put him in this little box over here, and we know he's there. Somebody asks us, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus Christ. He lives right here. He lives right here in my heart. But he doesn't live my life. He doesn't live my life. Are we really willing to take God at his promises? Are we willing to pull God out of that box and see what he might do? There's all kinds of verses here where God challenges us to get out of our box, but I want you to hear this one. It comes out of Malachi 3. It has to do with giving. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring all those tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will be no room in your arms to receive it. God's saying if you bring into the storehouse, if you give yourself to the storehouse, if you bring your material things, if you give yourself away, you know what? I'm going to bless you beyond what you can even begin to hold in both arms. He's telling us that. How much do you think about this? Jesus Christ has said himself, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and more abundant. There's another promise. You know, what happens is we put God in a box and we think, well, this is as good as it gets. You know, this is my box with God. This is how, where I'm at. The, the giving here in Malachi 3.10, the, the John 10.10, 10, that says he's come to give life and give it more abundantly. God has told us I'm going to do incredible things. But you've got me in a box here. You're not letting me do what I want to do in your life. Why? Because I'm complacent, because I'm apathetic, because I'm just not willing to surrender everything. My life is not my own. Paul, what a beautiful example of that. He gave himself for us that we might have this incredible relationship with Him. You know, we put God in a little box. America has put God in a box. Many Americans have thrown God away. It's time for the church to say, it's time for God to be free. Show the America that what, what it looks like when God shows up. God desired to show up and show off, but it's going to take you and I to get serious. The biggest problem with America, I've said this so many times, but I want to say it again this morning, the biggest problem in America is not the White House or the Congress or the Senate or the Supreme Court, they're all problems. But that's not the biggest problem. The problem is God's house. We're not where we need to be. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. As we think about veterans today, I want you to think about that. I, I believe most of us probably got a little emotional watching that video. All those sad stories of families that gave the best. Jesus Christ is looking for you and I to do the same thing. To give the best. 
If it takes our life, so be it. But I don't believe it will. I believe all we do have to do is get serious about serving Him, about praying, about walking with Him. God has called you and I to greatness. God wants to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. How amazing if God might use Beaverdam Baptist Church to change this whole nation because we got serious about God. We got serious about praying. We got serious about walking with the Lord. We got serious about sharing our faith. All the things that God's Word tells us to do. He's not saying if you feel like I do these things. He's saying do it. Do it. God has an incredible plan for our lives.